You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 592, the horror of award ceremonies and acceptance speeches, what your TV says about you, no more you've been framed, the return of Haircut 100 and farewell to Raquel Welsh. That's all coming up after Dandy Warhols and Bohemian Like You. on tour all across the USA this remains their most successful single to date it reached number five in the UK in the year 2000 the rather lively and wonderful dandy warhols and bohemian like you 
indeed and one of those one of those bands that i've always really liked and have always been quite sort of poppy and radio friendly mm. and one of those bands who you feel deserve a big hit and and they'd had some success with some tunes but not not you know huge huge not amounts success, and no. it's therefore a band that you can forgive selling out by putting their music on an advert i believe that was on a vodafone advert over here in the uk it was one of the mobile phone providers yeah. and that was why it really blew uh, up and you think actually do you know what it's like the the mock turtles the can i dig it i think was a oh, phone yes, ad, yeah. ad as well and that got a re-release and you do think sometimes do you know what yeah why not i, oh, I can absolutely. forgive you for that and yeah, and i mean yeah. the dandy warhols have this sort of weird relationship with the brian jonestown massacre i think that, that that that's been in the film i think there's a weird sort of thing going on there but um yeah great band the dandy warhols that they're they're sort of albums the dandy warhols come down which was an album before this which was 13 tales from um, bohemia mm. both of those albums are really worth listening to they're, they're what i would call driving albums and and there's a place for those in the world i think i'm guessing now um due to the the commercial the vodafone that you refer to much they're, they're much more successful in the uk than the us no singles in the billboard hot 100 ever but eight top 40 singles in the uk but that as really you write surprises said, me actually that's yeah but strange. they were all sort of like 37 and you know 32 mm. and so on they're not nothing like really major but yes nothing in america is that the bit you meant that surprises you yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was it would uh, I, I would have thought that they would have had some level yeah. of success. They strike me as college radio circuit, and you'd think they'd Very at least much. have some yeah. some some of those acts break out of the college radio circuit. So yeah. um so yeah, but it was um like you say maybe it is the uh, it is the advertising thing over here. Mm. Um it, and again, it was one of those things where it was a re-release having been on the advert. So they re-released it originally here in the UK, and it got to forty two, uh. even though they toured for a year and then it was on the Vodafone advert it was re-released in October 2001 and it peaked at number five so it just goes to show sometimes the other the other sort of song that should have been a hit and wasn't and then was for slightly more nefarious commercial reasons was Boys Will Be Boys by The Ordinary Boys which I the minute I heard that I thought that would be an enormous hit and it didn't get anywhere at all and then Preston the singer went on Celebrity oh, Big Brother yes. and it was re-released and was an enormous hit as a result and you do think well sort of right right, right result wrong reasons really mm. but um, but yeah so, so I do have a bit of a soft spot for uh, singles that sort of indie singles that haven't been successful that then get a second chance at fame through you know perhaps slightly unindie means uh, hello thanks for joining us it is parish council episode 592 i'm terence stackham and listeners she's not even the best drummer in the beatles it's <laughs> juliet harris yeah i have drummed on record before but perhaps the less said the better but anyway <laughs> yes i am um, i yeah upsettingly i'm i've never been in the beatles although anybody oh. that has watched um all nine hours of Get Back by the end I think feels like they have been in the Beatles because you've just been sat in that room it's with so them true. forever and there are certain scenes but I think it's deliberate in the camera angles where they sort of look at you yes. <laughs> if you see what I mean I and you feel like they're sort of staring at you and and yeah I feel like I'm sat on one of those wooden chairs from Abbey Road um that you know just just kind of hanging out with them to pull to you know to do Get Back so so yes not in the Beatles despite my slightly unhinged feelings to the contrary good good morning everyone we've been keeping a watchful eye on the ongoing live performance ticket scandal that has been mm. developing in the last year yes. so and expressing vocal views on this indeed very much so very strong on it, on it i mean a couple mm. of weeks ago we, we in fact had those strong views talking about how 
how Bruce Springsteen's most loyal fans are deserting mm, his exactly. blue-collar cause due to his devotion to dynamic ticket pricing. And now the rather squeaky clean world of K-pop mm. is tumbling into this uh, ticketing uh, debacle. Um, three major K-pop uh, K-pop acts are appearing in the UK in coming months, including the girl band Blackpink at Hyde Park. Mm. But they and the others, they're, they're operating another system called Quick Drop, where batches of tickets are sold at very short notice, causing a form of sort of buyer panic. Mm. And so these Blackpink tickets started... Um, at Hyde Park for £160 and rose immediately to £500, not on the secondary market, just on the ordinary ticket mm. um, because of the demand. And, um, yeah, I mean, Jules, this is just taking the whole Wall Street greed is good thing to just new levels of repulsiveness. It's incredibly cynical, isn't it? And that's what's... And, and I think we all sort of knew that the K-pop industry was sort of factory pop anyway. Well, yeah. But it really does. I mean, so there's a quote in this Guardian article about it. Um, there's a music critic and journalist called Michelle um, Hyun Kim who says, the K-pop industry tends to be more explicit about their promotional schedule and how they promote their music. That may be why it feels so fast. I mean, I suppose there is an argument in that the K-pop industry is at least open about the fact that, the, that it is essentially a pre-packaged supermarket that sells tins of soup that just <laughs> happen to be pop pop records don't they but i think this is well summed up by a fan so standing tickets to see blackpink at the o2 arena in december so, so, so bear in mind that you know years ago i went to see iron maiden and paid 60 quid i think mm. um so they started at 160 um, pounds a ticket and then it reached 500 quid as demand soared so we've got a, a quote here from a fan called amy Britton who says some of the cheapest black pink tickets were half a month's rent i'd love to have been there but to put it into perspective i could have either paid to have a roof over my head for a month or paid to see black pink on stage for two hours it's an insane amount of money and i think that sums up the economics of it well doesn't it really also one thing that that people i think don't quite realize about the k-pop industry and um, you know let's remember where k-pop is from korea um it's it's rife with disbandments and hiatuses as military service terence a lot of, the oh, yeah. of these bands yeah. have to go into military service and you just can't we just don't grasp that i don't think no. i'm not saying that's a good excuse but it just goes to show what a culture shock this is um it's just and and the idea that that you know most of the people that like K-pop, I mean, there are old, I do know older people that are fans of K-pop. Um, most heroically, music journalist and critic David Quantic is an enormous fan of K-pop. He is my go-to authority on K-pop. He's been into it for several years, and you know, I, he's, he's, you know, I think that says so much about him. Good things and how you know he sort of embraces embraces sort of new things. But uh, from the, aside from the brilliant David Quantics of the world, there are it's mostly teenage and young fans, isn't it? People in their twenties. These are not people that just have that money lying about, are they? As as, as Amy mm. says, these are not these are people. It really is exploitation of a vulnerable market, mm. in my view. You know, if, if they're playing places like arenas, because K-pop is one of those things that it may have passed you and I by, Sir T. But it's it's surprisingly mm. popular amongst the sure. youngsters in the UK mm. and a growing market as well. And you know, as a result of which, these bands do play arenas because there is that audience there. It might not be us and it might not be people we hang out with, but there are huge audiences there. As a result of which, they're going to be playing arenas. 
they won't be playing, you know, a 25 date tour in small towns. They're unlikely to be at the Hull Welly, for example. You know, they're going to be mm-hmm. big in big arenas as a result of which it's it's like it's like when we talked about um, fans going to see Adele in Las Vegas. This is logistics. This is booking a hotel. This is booking travel. Mm. In some cases, it's booking time off work and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you can't really organize that. If, you know, if if a tour is announced on Monday and then tickets go on sale on Wednesday, it's, yeah, mm. I, I'm not keen on this. No, I, I think any situation where devoted fans are having to choose between mm. paying their rent or mortgage or going to see Mad. their favourite band or artist, it's an awful way for the music business to uh, to turn. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been a member of BAFTA and I've been to the BAFTA mm. Awards twice. Well, you're so I'm... fancy, Sir T. I <laughs> I really, but you always go on about me somehow being famous, which <laughs> can I just stress is not true. Yet yeah. you are the true, you're the true venerable, venerable celeb of this podcast, I feel. Uh, I swan around. That's what Indeed. I do. Indeed, um, you know, the Surrey Hills, they seek yeah. him there in the Surrey Hills. They seek him there in the Cotswolds, a very glam lifestyle. I, but, though, I never want to go to the BAFTA Awards again. I, I don't know if I'm alone mm. in being completely world-weary of, of these increasing number of award shows anyway. I mean, when we take a step back, I, the, the madness of it, we take, take a step back and look at the idea afresh. How idiotic and pointless it is measuring one film or album mm. and against another you know um, in this case a movie is a movie it, it, it isn't made to then take part in some sort of contest i mean this year for instance <laughs> like best movie of the year all quiet on the western front versus elvis i mean it's just yes, so tough. exactly it's like you know it, it, it's like um which is your favorite uh, blade of grass or what's your favorite exactly you know what's exactly, your best yeah. cloud it's all subjective <laughs> and thoroughly pointless jules I mean, I don't disagree. I, I, I do kind of understand. I think I could have understood it more in the past, the need to judge things. But I think now everything is so accessible, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you know, we could in the past, you know, there was a real buzz around all oh, Oscar films. Cause, and I think COVID's done a lot to change that and the way that we consume things. Because you'd go to the cinema to see Oscar films and stuff. And now there are so much on streaming. If I want to see most of the BAFTA winners mm. and nominees, I just have to walk to the room next door and, and fire up Prime or Netflix. Mm. And, and you can find most of those. It's, you know, criticism had more of a place, I think, in the past when, you know, not everybody had access to everything. And I remember you've spoken before about going out and buying albums on the strength of reading reviews mm. in the enemy and mm. things like Absolutely, that. And, yeah. you know, and, and this is some extent it, that is still sort of true. There are so, still some critical voices on film that I very much trust. And maybe we'll get to the point with like we have, like I think we might do with music, where there is so much stuff that criticism becomes relevant again because you need someone to, to, to bring you through and to sort of help clear a path through for you. Although having said that, I know this is slightly off topic but you then have to say the voices that we're hearing why are we hearing those voices rather than other voices and i don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist but the the sort of hoo-ha around the academy awards nominations um are you familiar with the story of andrea riseborough city and um so nominees for the best actress it became apparent a few Mm. days before they were announced that there was this sort of campaign that was being launched to get Andrea Riseborough, who's a, a, a British actress who is an excellent actress, but who 
you know, didn't have a huge amount of, of big film pedigree, shall we say. She's very much sort of from the, the indie world. And she was in this funny little film that, that um, called uh, For Leslie, I think, that just wasn't, you know, that, that was seen as being um, too Leslie. That's right. That was that was seen as being a bit of a, you know, a worthy film. And her performance was the best thing about it. And there seemed to be this kind of campaign where lots of, actors and actresses for, that were clearly represented by the same agent were starting to sort of get on board. And then the, the results were announced, the, the um, nominations were announced, and she was included at the expense of Viola Davis and another actress who was in Till, who you'd think would have been nominated. And there was just this feeling that this was, you know, powerful white interests kind of arguing again. So, you know, sort of arguing successfully and pushing people out of the way. All of the BAFTA winners were white and there is this kind of feeling. So, So I always worry, you know, even when it comes to criticism and people being dispassionate, what are we being told? Why are we being pushed certain things? Um, so... Yes, it is arbitrary, isn't it? What you know, like you say, what is your favourite type of dishwashing cloth? You know, it's it's difficult exactly, to try yes. and to try and compare apples with oranges, and that is, like you say, they do very different things. And you know, unless you're going to be like the Grammys are in America, where there are like ninety thousand different categories, and you know, the winner of the best um, single recorded in June on a sunny day award, you know, there's always like really specific categories. Unless you're going to go that specific. And say best, you know, best action film, best comedy film, best drama film, because like you said, comparing Elvis to to All Quiet on the Western Front does seem a bit a bit mad. Unless you unless you do that, how do you judge? You know, it, it's just mm. one person's taste against another. Absolutely, isn't it? Yeah, I don't it's... like. Horror, I, I said don't like. I'm not drawn towards horror films, so I wouldn't be likely to. Mm pick a horror film as a critic over something cool in black and white, which, you know, because I'm very pretentious, I would enjoy that. So I don't know. I mean, mentioning the, uh, carrying on mentioning just the BAFTAs for a moment. Mm. I mean, um, <coughs> I just feel this was particularly, it was a particularly abysmal this year. Um, yes. I know it wasn't a deliberate snub, but they missed Bernard Cribbins off on the immemorial. Oh, yeah, ridiculous. I'm, you know, how difficult must it be to just keep a running diary through the year at Bath? Yeah, exactly. Just have a, a black book, a diary, and just write down, I mean, sadly, all the people who have died in the year, and then just get somebody to check it. But that yeah. just didn't happen. It's just incompetence. And then Agreed. Richard E. Grant. And, and they, they tried to make the mealy-mouthed argument that he oh. was sort of more, he's going to be recognised at the TV BAFTAs because nonsense. he's more known for that. And it's like the railway children is often rightly celebrated exactly. as one of the touchstones of british cinema it is you know it's been remade several times for a reason and it's on every christmas for a reason and a large part of that reason is bernard cribbins so so, absolutely they were just doubling down there and trying to wriggle out of it yes richard grant was out of his depth and in the wrong role as a presenter and i like him very much but but yes i think yeah it wasn't but the worst of it was and this is no dig at alison hammond i'm sure Mm. She's very successful um, for all the right reasons. She's got a role. You know, she's apparently very good on the morning, um, uh, mid-morning shows, you know, being jolly yes. and cheery and interviewing well, people. She, well, she was a product of Big Brother, and so she's she was a personality Brother, yes. person. Exactly. And, and I had she was no not for this role. No, she was no, not for interviewing not. people. It was cringe-worthy I to mean, the extreme. Terrible. terrible. And, and the thing about BAFTA is, is that, 
what I didn't understand was, and this is no criticism of the National TV Awards, the NTAs, Mm. is that BAFTA kind of holds itself as being a bit classier, doesn't it? The idea is, is that, you know, BAFTA is, is, you know, Mm. it's sort of like the British establishment, isn't it? Stephen Fry hosted it for some years, I think, if I remember correctly. Mm. And that is the sort of person with with every respect to Richard E. Grant that you would associate BAFTA with. You know, it's sort of heavyweight, isn't it, really? And that's what it's seen as. And this was more like the NTAs or, God, the Inside Soap Awards. It seems so... Seems so incongruous, like you say, and so so sort of misunderstanding of what BAFTA claims it is, and yeah, just just you know, it just it just Mm. felt a bit ridiculous, and it felt like they were desperately grasping for a new audience without having done any market research or having any respect for its traditions. Absolutely, more widely, and I think you know this may seem controversial many people may disagree with me but it's the acceptance speeches that push me over the edge mm. at these things um, <laughs> that, and the excruciating host but the, 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 you know, the pauses for entertainment but the the acceptance speeches i mean just get on say thank you and get <laughs> off there's nothing exactly. wrong with that but oh no you know we have to hear uh, a long list of people to whom undying mm. gratitude must be uh, expressed with you know, and of course a little breakdown to tears when you when when the the award winner you know mentions their grandmother if only they could yes. be here to see me today yes, you know, exactly. just shut up shut up shut up agreed um, and know, my, my most care. memorable sorry go on Terence. no i was going to say the only people who want to hear your soppy list of gratitude is the blooming people on the list it's it's the most yeah, alarming phrase in showbiz i have a lot of people to thank tonight and well just bit, oh man write them a postcard or an email <laughs> don't tell us all exactly. about it exactly put it on insta yeah exactly i am so, so the most memorable awards uh, classiest awards uh, speeches for me um i think they were both bafta actually um one was olivia coleman and one was anna maxwell martin uh, anna maxwell martin i think she won for bleak house um and she's very much at the start of her career at that point and she got up she looked in shock and she said that she thanked her mum her dad her brother and gillian anderson and then went off and he just said yeah exactly you know go in take the shots go out olivia coleman Coleman, uh, her speeches are always rather laced with humour, which are always quite entertaining. And she did a short list of, of thank yous and said, oh, Ed and the, her husband and the kids. And she said, and my friend Merle, she's a teacher. She's got nothing to do with this world. She'll laugh. <laughs> and then that was it. And then just kind of, you just think, actually, yeah, if you're going to say something that's quite entertaining, then then do. And I think sometimes there is a there is a role for that. But yeah, like you say, short and sweet is always always the good thing. Like when the Queen opened the Olympics, and I think she said 15 words, I think, or something like that. And you just think, yeah, exactly. Get on, that's same the way thing. To do it. Get off. Get on. Yeah. Get off. Coming right up, what your television says about you. <laughs> and it's the end of the road for You've Been Free. That's next after Yard Act. The truth was sold, that's where the trail goes cold. My shoulders shudder at the thought of puffing my chest out as I walk home alone. Under the arches, there's this blow with a car boot full of stolen phones, knock-off cologne and mink carcasses. Limit condition from Selfridges, mate. I see arsonists with business race etched on the back of empty match boxes and police officers getting their truncheons polished off in the bushes, wondering what all the fuss is about and what I'm looking at. But if looks could kill, my vacant gaze wouldn't even pierce the skin. I'm not lazy, ambition's just something I've no interest in. At least when I meet my maker, I'll embrace all my mistakes as I descend into the bowels of hell, but eating grin on my face. It's a never-ending cycle of abuse. I had the blues, and I can't shake 
fan of this gang i must admit i think i picked their first single fixer upper for a for a pod previously um just i love their humor and and quite often comedy records can go really wrong but actually there's something that there's something that's angry and yet quite wry and entertaining about this it's very much a style in in british music at the moment a lot of these sort of bands popping up um possibly on the coattails of sleeper mods but but very good in their own right i think i love this i think it is really funny and also the playing is great it's got mm. real punch to it as well as this sort of thing over the over the top of it i've discovered it fairly recently and i'm completely addicted to it i've just listened to it time and time again because it's got such just just got such a great sound and an energy to it and it is and like i say it's really funny and i think at the moment to be able to have a sort of slightly jaundiced look at what is going on is a good thing and of course car boot man the the latest sort of <laughs> hero for our times what a character i can picture car boot man instantly so that was a yard act and from their first ep that was dark days they really came out of nowhere last year didn't they i mean that, but that's really excellent i really like that um we watch a lot of sports in our house and um, mm, I, i'm if, not adverse i must say <laughs> if you like sport, watching sport on television you'll know that bigger is better because if mm. you watch the cricket or football on a 28 inch screen and then you have a 42 inch screen there's a whole world of difference so then about 10 years ago we thought well we'll go wild and we'll get a 50 inch screen to satisfy our wow. sports on TV well you can sell everyone's nostrils on that can't you it's huge 
But movies are great on a big screen too. But then about five years ago, we bought a 60-inch screen oh because we thought that, that, that... Is it like one wall of your house? <laughs> I mean, I just, that way. this is the size of my bathroom, I think. That's insane. It is getting that way. I mean, we, we thought that watching Chelsea lose to Rotherham or Forest Green would look more impressive <laughs> on a 60-inch screen. Um, but and, and of course, you know, you're, everybody's probably thinking, well, as you say, you know, it's one wall and it surely has to be the old. But no, we're now looking at... De- redeveloping the sitting room to accommodate our new craving <laughs> an 85 inch ultra high definition smart tv Terrence, so Terrence, you're out of control this is not Jules, we'll, ha- we'll have to live outdoors with a 20 feet wide <laughs> television screen that's my future I mean, you know, what can I say? I wish you all the best in your new outdoor living lifestyle. Yes. Um, it is funny, isn't it, TVs? Some of my fondest memories are watching television football in pubs on TVs that were not suitable for the purpose. I remember watching one World Cup on a black and white TV and it was England versus Sweden. So it was not very easy to pick out what was going on. It was either World Cup or the Euros. And it was in a, a pub in Hastings, a very old school pub that is, I think, possibly original Tudor. And you have to walk upstairs in order to go. And so it's called the pump house. And there was one of those. And this it's again was about 20 years ago. One of those one of the very last old school TVs. It was a black and white and B, you know, sort of area. And it was balanced rather precariously on the end of the bar. I mean, oh I think God. they'd not planned to show the football and had given in to some level of pressure. That was the impression you got. They weren't advertising. It just happened to be on. And actually, I was with a friend that wanted to escape the football. And when we got in there, there was this TV balanced on the end of the bar. And every time someone flushed the toilet, the, 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 the signal would go <laughs> and everyone would shout abuse at the poor hapless person that had just wanted a wee behind the behind the bar so it was so i have very fond memories of watching watching tv on things that aren't fit for purpose when i was young very little one of my earliest memories of watching a film was sitting in bed with my nan who would have i would have been about three at the time and we watched gone with the wind on uh on on this again this black and white tv and I was the age of 14 before I realised that film is not in black and white. It is in glorious <laughs> Technicolor. All of the films think that are in black and white. So, and and my first television when I was when I was very small. No, not that small actually. I was about 12 or 13. And lots of my friends had TVs in my in their bedrooms, and that was the when is a child too young to have a mobile phone argument of its day? I think. And eventually, my parents, bless them, gave in, but in a very non-giving in type manner, in that they bought me a, t- a portable. T- TV that was black and white had a radio area at the back so again it did not it did not it didn't even have a tv area it was one of those areas you get from an fm radio so again it did not cope well with passing traffic passing people changes in weather movement in the same room it, you know it, it was it, not, not you know not not the, the not the most steady thing either but i watched a lot of things on that i you know what i used to very much enjoy watching on that snooker as my guitar teacher put it at the time there was a lot of potting the gray but um but it was it's and we watched um gina g at the eurovision song contest in 1996 on that tv so so like you say i'm therefore very grateful and slightly overwhelmed by big televisions in my in my kind of senior years i remember getting um I managed to hassle. I threatened to leave BT in 2021, I think it was. And as a result of which, I was given access to Sky Sports as a sort of sweetener. And so I ended up watching cricket that summer in HD. And Mm. watching sport in HD is a weird experience because it feels like you're watching a film. Every time someone would take a run up to bowl, I feel like something would suddenly explode because it kind of (laughs) felt, you know, it felt like like watching Die Hard rather than a test match. But um, Mm. 
Yeah, so so I yeah, it, it's difficult to say. I have I have televisions in my house. I have two. Uh, one one in my bedroom, which I know is the worst thing you can do. But having really said, is. having said that, if I'm feeling unwell, it is just really nice to watch Netflix mm. in bed. I must say, and one one in the front room. Um, I've had the one in the front room. You know. God, about 15 years, I think. It will have to break for me to replace it, I think. I'm not someone that, that I, I don't need state-of-the-art. I just need a TV that works. But I am, given my tendency towards old formats, I do miss those old black and white TVs. I miss, I miss, you know, for those of you watching in black and white, Tottenham are in, are in yellow shorts or whatever it was. I do I do very much, I do very much miss those days. Maybe, we, maybe there'll be a time in the future where potting the grey is fashionable again. Uh, having a TV in the bedroom is the worst possible thing in the entire world ever. I mean, Nancy Mitford would never have had a TV in the in the, in the bedroom. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Those what, little wrist wristbands you get. What would Jesus do? What yeah, would, Nancy, what would Mitford Nancy Mitford do? do? We need one of those. Yeah. I'm afraid watching Phil and Holly in bed makes you the worst kind of human being in the whole world. I know. But, I, I don't do that. Can I just point out? Oh, That's I not see. something I do. Oh, okay. In in the tele- Daily Telegraph this week, there's been a debate about um, what your television uh, what makes you as a person and one of the questions about wh- whether wall mounted tvs are common and of course they are there's <laughs> debate oh um, my gosh you're like alan bennett who when writing about his um his upbringing um said that the biggest fear in in you know in the parts of leeds that he lived in amongst his parents was that if something was common that was it it was just all over but worse still, it was decided in the Telegraph, um, televisions that are wall mounted and swivel, uh, they, they, they were decided to be even worse than common. So, you know, that's where your sitting room resembles a premier in room or, or a caravan. But um, I do remember when, um, as you were recalling there, it reminded me of, you know, you were saying about seeing TVs in pubs, when large flat screen TVs first came on the market. Mm. People with the space. I remember going into um, a, a John Lewis store in Reading and they'd set it up. Um, this is like 20, 25 years ago. Mm. People with the space um, would create a cinema room and they'd recreated this mm. in, in the John Lewis store. And a, a cinema room, it, it was a bit like the Victorians creating a parlour that no one yes. ever used. And, and it strikes me even still today that only Egypt's would have a cinema room. I mean, people like Bruno Brooks or Grant Bovey <laughs> would have a cinema room. I, I love your, your sort of celebrities you take pot shots at. Interestingly, whenever there are large houses, I'm not saying it's a surprise to everybody, but whenever you see like large celeb mansions or, you know, these, these, these sort of parts of London that are being completely ruined by people wanting like basement extensions and things like that yes, you know, stars yes. falling out that kind of stuff yes. whenever you see the descriptions of their houses with all of the many features uh, as hyacinth bouquet used to say about <laughs> about her sister it's got you know she lives in this house my sister violet she's got blah blah so a swimming pool and room for a pony and you know those sort of things or, or as 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 a stage would love to tell us many original features there's yes. a couple that used to live near my parents that were known to us only as mr and mrs many original features because they put their house <laughs> on the market and that's how it was it was put in the estate agent's blurb but cinema room seems mm. to be one of these things that always occur um in these kind of that make you think oh man you know 
it's yeah. and also you know clearly you don't pay tax do you i mean maybe some people with the cinema room do pay tax and are decent but but mostly i just find it you know i mean i have a cinema room it's called my front room with a tv so, with a dvd player in it you can also eat dinner in it because it's also my dining room it's the main room <laughs> you know it all goes on in there that's where the action is as we know i'm a very well considered person yeah, that, that has, is surely self-evident. Yeah, no prejudice in li- prejudices no, in life, no. and uh, I never rant on about trivial issues uh, ever. No, that never but, ever. Uh, this has never happened on this podcast no, or in life. No, but um, talking about television, it was announced hmm. this week that the abysmal, mindless show "You've Been Framed" is being dropped after 33 years of dismal programming. Um, I hate these sort of shows where we're supposed to laugh at other people's misfortune. Um, you know, um, the old, you know, there, there's a, there's a man tripping over a child's bicycle. You know, that's hilarious. And oh, here's a grandmother uh, walking into a door. You know, highly amusing. You've been framed, Jules. Good riddance. I'm a secret you've been framed fan. I'm really no, sorry. And no, this is the this no. is the bit where I get really judged by everybody oh, ever. What does the TV you watch say about dear. you? Obviously that I have a black heart. Um I was allowed to stay up to watch it as an eight year old on Sunday evening. So it is it is, you know, it's very um yeah, there is there's just there, there's certain subgenres of you be framed, um, you know, different things. Um it's um as a, as a friend of mine said, anything that starts with watch this is always is always, you know, you know, it's a bit like the first ten minutes of casualty. The sort of the, the working out how it's gonna go wrong is always good. Um adult men falling off trampolines always amuses me because you get the impression there's some sort of hubbery. You know, you're an adult, you probably pay tax and have a car. Why are you on a trampoline? This can only ever end badly. Um, and also people falling off rope swings as well. Why in this day and age would anybody go on a rope swing ever if you've ever seen You've Been Framed? Also goes to show that one of the reasons why I think You've Been Framed has ultimately failed is it did not keep up with the pace of of, of, uh, of inflation and the pace of the cost of living crisis of modern life. It's been 250 quid for a clip for as long as I can remember. It's like <laughs> the Tooth Fairy. They have, you know, the Tooth Fairy will die out in the same way as You've Been Framed have because they don't keep in touch with market forces. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I've always had a bit of a secret pleasure for it although I don't I, I never watched it every week but every so often I would find it quite calming there is just something quite calming about knowing that like someone is going to fall in a birthday cake or like you know something something is going to happen but equally I get that it's the very worst of human nature and I am a bimfire of a person for occasionally enjoying it I have to say in recent years I've very much been kept on board by the delight that is Harry Hill and his narration he gave that program a new lease of life mostly because he he, he sort of points out which celebrities people in the videos look like which is always quite entertaining and just he's sort of I think he's the voice of the people on You've Been Framed so there was someone (laughs) an unfortunate woman on a treadmill in a dressing ground and Harry Hill opens the narration by going "Mm, on a treadmill in a dressing ground I wouldn't if I were you love at which point the woman falls off and goes you see I did say and then it moves on to something else so Harry Hill's narration anything involving Harry Hill I would always give a fair hearing to because I think he's a delight but um, I can see people's issue with You've Been Framed I'll find something else to move on I do quite enjoy the hotel inspector and Alex Polizzi shouting at people for their failings and also being kind as well. Maybe there was not enough kindness to you've been framed. Well, of course, these sort of unbounded, hilarious clips, apparently, of people suffering misfortune now accrue 10 million views on TikTok and, or Facebook. Mm, well, and that's it. Of, that's exactly it, isn't it? That's, I think that's, that's a really well put why, point. 
Yeah, that's probably why you've been framed as a drug because, um, yeah, well, all of them seem to be clearly contrived and inauthentic. I mean, I mean, well, yes. what, what, a, what a world. Oh, look, there's a child tripping over into a puddle, you know, cue up the <laughs> laughter track. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you've been framed. It's no longer on ITV. I was going to say, put RIP poor one out for you've been framed, which will inevitably go wrong and end up with someone falling over in the drink you've pulled out. Coming next, the return of Haircut 100 mm. and its farewell to Raquel Welsh. That's mm. right after the new single from The Lemon Twigs. They say that people pass away to make a space for all the young ones laughing, living for today. Along a golden coast, the sunshine dancing, close to sun. Simply luscious. It's uh, it so is. Todd Rundgreny. Mm. Very Todd Rundgreny, but there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> no, exactly. You're not going to go broke competing to the Todd Rundgren constituency no. on this podcast, are you? Gorgeous new single from the Lemon Twigs, Any Time of Day. Yeah, really, really lovely. And thank you for continuing to listen to new music and to introduce me to it, Seti. <laughs> Pretty sure it shouldn't be that way around, but delighted you're doing so. Reversal of roles. Um, mm. 
this year really does seem to be the year for reunions and included in this category are Haircut 100. Mm. Uh, there's a reissue of their one and only album with Nick Hayward, Pelican West. Mm. Uh, that's reissued this month, of course, in multi-disc vinyl and CD box sets and so on. And there's a one-off show at the Shepherd's Bush Empire in May. Haircut 100, very interesting band. Their time in the sun was really Mm. short. One album and four singles, uh, straddling a bit of 1981 and a bit of 1982. Mm. And that was that. But they were very successful in the UK, not so so much elsewhere. The album Mm. Pelican West made number two. And those four singles I referred to, all top ten. They had a distinctive Beatlish influence. Um, I listened back to the Pelican West album this week, Jules, and those four singles in particular stood out. Haircut 100, they were really good. They were. And actually, I'd never heard this album properly. I was only familiar with the singles. Well, I think we had So I've talked about this previously on the podcast. So apologies if I'm boring you, said T slash wider audience. But we I consumed a lot of music as a young person, a very young person, like a four or five year old. You used to be able to get tapes from the Weetabix. I can't remember if they were in the boxes, <laughs> or if you had to send off for them. So Haircut 100's Fantastic Day was one of the tunes that was on one of these tapes. And because we didn't have many of them, you know, this wasn't like the age of streaming so where you've got like 10 million songs at your fingertips within one second so we heard the same songs a lot Young at Heart by the Bluebells was on that as well and very much there was a sort of signature sound in Britain of the early 80s mm. I think um, I would put those two in the, in the same breath uh, Young at Heart again to loop back to earlier a song that was that was massively successful when it was re-released years later but um, I really loved this and there's something weird going on for me here psychologically in that this album was released a a couple of years before I was born. I was not alive for this, this Mm -hmm. type of music. And I would also put Aztec camera in this. I would put early everything, but the girl in this, that similar sort of sound. I was really struck by it, by the everything, but the girl, the early stuff compared to this in that there is a sort of a vague latin influence there's a few bongo drums in places it's very light it's very uh, airy there's very much um roots of c86 in here and some of the poppier end of of that and i find myself nostalgic for a time which i wasn't around for certainly i love this kind of music and i've ended up making friends sort of in my my 20s and playing in bands and i remember sort of around this sort of music this kind of indie jangle pop and i remember my bandmate who is um quite you know some years older than me i can't remember exactly how many years older than me but you know maybe sort of getting on getting on for eight nine years older than me and her explaining to sort of her contemporaries and mates and everyone go but you're so young Juliet. how do you know this music why are you obsessed with completely utter and utterly by the Chesterfields you were two when it came out and Sarah's saying Julia just understands this Julia just loves and gets this kind of music our youth and it's weird because it wasn't my youth at all mm. yet weirdly and I've often felt that I'm slightly born out of time in many ways I don't know how or why that's happened and listening to this music for the first day I was like oh yeah it sounds very much of its time and I was like yeah but I love that time even though I wasn't around at that time mm. there is something about the optimism in that music, despite what was going on politically at the time, you had you had the anger of all, all the red wedge acts. And yet there's something quite romantic about this music. There's something that's quite, you know, that, that's got possibility in it. And I love the possible anything in life that is that, that is possible, that, that has a sound of possibility about it is something I will always I will always adore. So it was a, a treat to hear this album in full for the first time. And 
I I just love the sound of it, Terence, and I, and it's it's weird. It's evoking a past that I didn't have. <laughs> yeah, I find it evocative nonetheless, and I don't know why that is. That's really lovely. I, I think we wish um, Haircut 100 well with this mini comeback. And Absolutely, on top of that, yeah. Nick Haywood has the reputation as the nicest man in the entertainment industry. Yes, he industry. does, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. He's and, got the uh, Dave Grohl of his era, isn't he? Yes, that that's exactly him. it. And thinking about how the sands of time rush through that um, oh, hourglass, yes. Nick, a- Nick Haywood has a 35-year-old son, Oliver, who's a touring <laughs> oh, and recording sound who engineer. Is, who is who, who is nearer to my age than Nick mm. Hayward is? Yeah, okay. I absolutely you know he's three years younger than me, Nick Hayward's son. And yet, I love this music. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't see a generation gap in this at all. I just think it's great. Yeah, but good luck, Haircut One Hundred. Yeah, good, all good the best. Seeing him with this little mini comeback. One of the very best um, Seinfeld episodes, and there are plenty mm. of chip top ones to yeah, choose from, is the episode "The Summer of George," in which mm. several story threads rather wonderfully come <laughs> together in twenty minutes. As yes, they, it is brilliant. Uh, yeah. But what is really notable is the appearance of Raquel Welsh, who is absolutely mm. brilliant playing this yeah, man, maniacal version of herself, throwing <laughs> herself into the part. And this is noteworthy because Raquel Welsh was so shoehorned by the industry and media into a totally false portrayal as a bit of a sort of temptress, a bimbo <sighs> with no thoughts or soul of her own. And how aggravating this is, Jules, another woman of immense talent partitioned off into into a classification that sought to undermine her very very genuine talent as an actress absolutely i couldn't agree more um how telling that you know that you know when there was an obituary of raquel welsh they would be using the picture of her in the doe skin bikini from one million years bc a film for which she had a grand total of three lines of dialogue and doesn't that sum up how you know it's literally silencing women isn't it it's 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 ridiculous um she she was originally in Fantastic Voyage. Um, I, this is, an, again, another sort of, uh, this is a, a sort of certainly minor detail, but of course you forget this. She was signed up to 20th Century Fox, but they lent her contract to Hammer Film Productions in the, in the UK, which is who she made one million B, years BC for. Um, very sort of... Um, you know, like you say, very much portrayed as a bit of a, you know, bit of a bit of a sex symbol. But actually, she she was a quite the entrepreneur. She had quite a um a she published the Raquel Welsh Total Beauty and Fitness Program book and videos, which was released in 1984. She was one of the very early people to get onto yoga before before every woman over the age of 40. Speaking as someone that is approaching 40 <laughs> as a woman and is thinking about doing yoga, as every woman now does. Um, as a result of which, um, she had a wig collection called Hair You Wear, which was extremely successful. And of course, all of those things, you know, you would portray, oh, you know, focus on beauty and and you know and health you know sort of physical health isn't that bimboish she made a lot of money out of that and was very shrewd and shrewd in recognizing that there is a market for that and that is not a thing to be ashamed of and you know and I really admire her for that um you know like you say a really capable actress um so and and again she her um patrick curtis um her early manager they very much kind of shaped her into you know making her into a sort of a sex symbol which is a shame actually because the die was cast quite early on i think um again always the case of what might have been 
she was never um she was never a bond girl what was apparently uh, strongly considered for the role of domino in thunderball and it makes it makes me wonder what would have happened would her career have gone in a different direction or would it just be more the same if she got that i don't know but um like you say a lot more to raquel welch than than uh than reach the eye uh, meets the eye but um yeah i i very sorry to hear of her loss um and you know i really hope that people try and remember the the many sides to her rather than just I mean, admittedly she was great in 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 you know in in, in the bikini but you know there is more to her than that there was a very strange interlude in um Raka Welsh's life when her son um Damon married Rebecca Truman the daughter of the fast bowler for Yorkshire and England Fred Truman <laughs> How random! And that is how weird. really, really peculiar. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure how they met, but I do remember at the time, uh, many years ago now, um, you know, the the the, the couple um, coming to Yorkshire for a blessing, and um, hmm. you know, Raquel Welsh and Freddie Truman. Um, what what in... what a meeting of minds! I mean, that is very very unexpected, yeah. isn't it? I would love to see those like family wedding photographs, where, like you know, the couple and the parents get sort of put in that is that is great and also a great sort of tribute to the fact that you know we can all meet anyone from any walk of life <laughs> can't we and and you know when you win someone else's family you know yes. that really is the ultimate tombowler isn't it who are you winning what is going on there absolutely i, mean, I actually met in inverted commas raquel welsh um, when i was a teenager and i, I mean i say Did met I'm, I'm not uh, i have to be honest here i was in the same vicinity um, <laughs> i mean that's that's as good as any nowadays for, for reasons that are a little unclear she came to watch chelsea play against leicester city in 1972 I mean, that, that feels, that, that's that's a very unclear thing isn't but, it in the same way as as when keeping were bought by money um, and Bernie Eccleston was involved I've still got a photo somewhere of Tamara Beckwith and Naomi Campbell sat in the stands <laughs> at Loftus Road so yes these things do happen Yes, well, I suppose so. I mean, Rekha Walsh coming to watch Chelsea play is rather, you know, as peculiar as her son marrying Freddie Truman. Yes, it is. The it daughter. Is. But, uh, that, is, um, that is genuinely great, though. Good for yeah. Rekha Walsh. I mean, I, I hope she had a nice day out. Along she came, I was about 16 or 17, and she was accompanied by all people, um, by, uh, by Jimmy Hill. And um, again, what a bizarre meeting of minds. Know, it gets weirder. Um, yeah, she sat in the director's box and I was in the row behind. Mm. And then at half time, she was in the tea room, very old fashioned tea room <laughs> in the 1970s. Um, and I, I can remember, I can picture her now with a, a, a cup and saucer in her hand and having to keep putting it down. She was very pleasant to people who came up to her for autographs. But I was just way too shy to approach her. Oh, so, but, but, but having said that, you know, I'm sure she'd be delighted that like 50 years on we'd be talking mm. about this in a podcast in me in my pajamas if I knew Raquel Welch was listening I would not be in pajamas I'd probably <laughs> smarten up a bit but um yeah that is that's so great isn't it and how incongruous as well um this is that that beats my story of who I sat with at football once um a nice chap came and uh, when I was watching Lewis on a Sunday afternoon and a nice chap came who had a very glamorous wife came up to us and, and sat down and uh, you know was introduced to me as Dave and my friend obviously knew him a bit and we were having a chat and he started someone asked what he was up to and I suddenly fell in that he was probably someone in you know the biz because mm. he was talking about oh yeah they're remaking Danger Mouse and and I'm going to narrate it and I was like hang on who is this 
was the voice of Calm Down With Me, Mr. Dave Lamb, a.k.a. Yeah. The, um, the, your, your man off goodness gracious, your token white man, quote unquote, off goodness gracious me. A very pleasant gentleman. That would also explain being in showbiz, why he was wearing shorts in February. But um, I bet that, that's what you wild people do. You don't live to the usual gravitational laws of weather like the rest of us hoi polloi do. But um, yeah, so so even better than me spending some time at a football match with the voice of Come Dine With Me is you spending time with Raquel Welch at, yeah, uh, at, at, at the old football. Hobnobbing with the stars. As always. Um, so farewell, uh, Raquel Welch. She died aged yes. 82 earlier this month. R.I.P. Thanks so much for listening. Always good to have you along. Echo the sentiments of my learned friend, as always. She may not be the best drummer in the Beatles, but she <laughs> hosts two of the best radio shows. That is as ever too kind thank you Seti I appreciate that I do two shows on Noisebox Radio which is an internet station I would very much recommend that you listen to it in general I do smooth sailing on Sunday evenings at 7 to 9pm um, as I described to someone the other day Magic FM on a 50p budget but uh, yes it is very much um, Yacht Rock M-O-R A-O-R classic pop easy listening you know sort of stuff that's relaxing and uplifting for a sunday evening 7 to 9 p.m live or on mixcloud if you go to mixcloud.com and search for noisebox radio we have all of our old shows on there and i do something on thursday evenings from 8 to 9 p.m called lost for words which is instrumentals of all kinds and flavors and again the same rules apply to mixcloud a track from that excellent first album from tricky to see us out Indeed. And I think I was talking to someone about great Glastonbury performances of our time the other day and how unexpectedly wonderful Beyonce was when she appeared mm, at, oh, yes. at Glastonbury. And as someone said in a paper at the time, you know, I get Glastonbury and I get its vibe, but isn't it refreshing to have a performer on stage that isn't dressed like they're an administrator in local government? And I think that kind of as someone that works in local government, that does rather sum it up. But the most bizarre interlude of that was she came on and 15 minutes the first 15 minutes, I knew a lot of, I've seen a lot of like journal, serious music journalists like Alice Petridis and Kathleen Moran and people like that saying, and Stuart McConey saying that first 15 minutes of Beyonce was the most exciting thing I've ever seen when she came on. And then she did Baby Boy and Tricky shuffled on, looking, <laughs> com- looking like he'd just been dropped on the stage from space in what appeared to be tracksuit bottoms, from what I could tell, sort of mumbling along, bless him. And I was like, how on earth have Beyonce and Tricky ended up in the same world? And maybe they went to watch Chelsea together, who knows? But, you know, ended up in the <laughs> same sort of, you know, on the same sort of musical planet. Um, So I was thinking about that. And also, I, I do like the sort of the listening, pl- the streaming platforms where you listen all the way through to an album and then it's like, okay, then, so we'll just sort of throw some more things at you. I like this on autoplay. And I was listening to one of the massive attack albums on the way home the other day. I think it might have been, um, might have been Protection, I think. I, mm. I can't remember. It's one of those albums. And I was thrown this particular track by Tricky afterwards. And I'd never really got into this album very much. It had just sort of slightly passed me by. But I'm listening to a lot of trip hop at the moment. So I reckon I'm definitely going to cue this up. And from the album Maxine, Maxine, is it Maxine Key or Maxine Quay? I never know. Anyway, from that album, this is Tricky featuring the brilliant vocals of Martina Topley Bird, as a lot of his records do. And this is called Aftermath.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>